section five of historical mysteries this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. historical mysteries by andrew lang the cardinal's necklace oh nature and thackeray which of you imitated the other one inevitably thinks of the old question thus travestied when one reads in the fifth edition revised and augmented of monsieur funk bretano's l'affaire du collier the familiar story of jean de Balois of cardinal rohan and of the fatal diamond necklace jean de Balois might have sat though she probably did not for becky sharp her early poverty her pride in the blood of Balois, recall becky's youth and her boasts about the blood of the montmorencys jeanne and her respectable friends as becky had the sedleys like becky she imprudently married a heavy unscrupulous young officer her expedients for living on nothing a year were exactly those of mrs rawdon crawley her personal charms her fluent tongue her good nature even were those of that accomplished lady finally she has her marquis of stain in the wealthy luxurious cardinal de rohan she robs him to a tune beyond the dreams of becky and incidentally she drags to the dust the royal head of the fairest and most unhappy of queens even now there seems to be people who believe that marie antoinette was guilty that she cajoled the cardinal and robbed him of the diamonds fateful as the jewels of Ariphile. that theory is annihilated by m funk Britano. but the story is so strangely complicated the astuteness and the credulity of the cardinal are so oddly contrasted a momentary folly of the queen is so astonishing and fatal the general mismanagement of the court is so crazy that had we lived in paris at the moment perhaps we could hardly have believed the queen to be innocent even persons greatly prejudiced in her favour might well have been deceived and the people loveth to think the worst and is hardly to be moved from that opinion as was said of the scottish public at the date of the gowrie conspiracy an infidelity of henri the second of france to his wedded wife catherine de medici and the misplaced affection of louis the fifteenth for madame du barry were the remote but real causes that helped to ruin the house of france without the amour of henri the second there would have been no jeanne de valois without the hope that louis the fifteenth would stick at nothing to please madame du barry the diamond necklace would never have been woven henri the second loved about fifteen fifty a lady named nicole de savigny and by her had a son henri de st remy whom he legitimated st remy was the great 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 grandfather of jeanne de valois the flower of minxes her father a ruined man dwelt in a corner of the family chateau a predacious poaching athletic broken scion of royalty 
who drank and brawled with the peasants and married his mistress a servant girl jeanne was born at the chateau of fontette near bar sur ob on april twenty two seventeen fifty six and she and her brother and little sister starved in their mouldering tower kept alive by the charity of the neighbors and of the curry who begged clothes for these descendants of kings but their scutcheon was and john never forgot the fact argent three fleurs de lys or on a fez azure the noblesse of the family was later scrutinized by the famous de hosier and pronounced authentic jeanne with bare feet and straws in her hair is said to have herded the cows a discontented indolent child often beaten by her peasant mother when her father had eaten up his last acre he and the family tramped to paris in seventeen sixty as jeanne was then but four years old i doubt if she ever drove the cattle home as m funk Britano finds recorded in the m s s of the advocate target who defended jeanne's victim cardinal rohan the valois crew lived in a village near paris jeanne's mother turned jeanne's father out of doors took a soldier in his place and sent the child to beg daily in the streets pity a poor orphan of the blood of valois she piped alms in god's name for two orphans of the blood of valois when she brought home little she was cruelly flogged so she says and occasionally she deviated into the truth a kind lady the marquis de boulain villiers investigated her story found it true and took up the valois orphans the wicked mother went back to bar sur ob which jeanne was to dazzle with her opulence after she got possession of the diamonds by the age of twenty-one seventeen seventy-seven jeanne was a pretty enchanting girl with a heart full of greed and envy two years later she and her sister fled from the convent where her protectress had placed them a merry society convent it was a madame de sermont now gave them shelter at bar sur ob and jeanne married very disreputably her heavy admirer lamotte calling himself count and to all appearance a stupid young officer of the gendarmerie the pair lived as such people do and again made prey of madame de boulain villers in seventeen eighty one at strasbourg the lady was here the guest of the sumptuous vain credulous but honourable cardinal rohan by this time a man of fifty and the fanatical adorer of cagliostro with his philosopher's stone his crystal gazers his cirruses his egyptian mysteries and his powers of healing diseases and creating diamonds out of nothing cagliostro doubtless lowered the cardinal's moral and mental tone but it does not appear that he had any connection with the great final swindle in his supernormal gifts and graces the cardinal did steadfastly believe ten years earlier rohan had blessed marie antoinette on her entry into france and had been ambassador at the court of maria theresa the empress a sportsman who once fired off one thousand three hundred cartridges in a day can this be true a splendid festive churchman who bewitched vienna 
and even the emperor and count kaunitz by his lavish entertainments rohan made himself positively loathed for his corrupting luxury and his wicked wit by the austere empress she procured rohan's recall and so worked on her daughter marie antoinette the young queen of france that the prelate though grand almoner was socially boycotted by the court his letters of piteous appeal to the queen were not even opened and his ambitions to sway politics like a tensin or a flurry were ruined so here are rohan cagliostro and john all broad acquainted the cardinal and this is one of the oddest features in the affair was to come to believe that jeanne was the queen's most intimate friend and could and would make his fortune with her while at the same time he was actually relieving her by little tips of from two to five louis this he was doing even after confiding in jeanne he handed to her the diamond necklace for the queen and as he believed had himself a solitary midnight interview with her majesty if jeanne was so great with the queen as rohan supposed how could jeanne also be in need of small charities rohan was a man of the world his incredible credulity seems a fact so impossible to accept that it was not accepted by public opinion the queen people could not but argue must have taken his enormous gifts and then robbed and denounced him with the case before our eyes of madame humbert who swindled scores of hard-headed financiers by the flimsiest fables we can no longer deem the credulity of the cardinal incredible even though he displayed on occasion a sharpness almost as miraculous as his stupidity rohan conferred a few small favors on john her audacity was as great as that of madame humbert and late in seventeen eighty one she established herself both at paris and in versailles this one card in her hand was the blood of the valois and for long she could not play it to any purpose her claims were too old and musty if a lady of the name of stuart were to appear to-day able to prove that she was of royal blood as being descended from francis earl of bothwell who used to kidnap james the sixth was forfeited and died in exile about sixteen twenty she could not reasonably expect to be peculiarly cherished and comforted by a royal family now jean's claims were no better and no nearer in seventeen eighty one than those of our supposed steward adventurous in nineteen o four but john was sanguine something must be done by hook or by crook for the blood of the valois she must fasten on her great relations the royal family by seventeen eighty three jeanne was pawning her furniture and dining at the expense of her young admirers or of her servants for somehow they were attached to a mistress who did not pay their wages she bought goods on her credit as a countess and sold them on the same day she fainted in the crowd at versailles and madame elizabeth sent her a few louis and had her tiny pension doubled jeanne fainted again under the eyes of the queen who never noticed her her plan was to persuade small suitors that she could get them what they wanted by her backstairs influence with her royal cousin she had a lover retux de villette who was an expert forger and by april seventeen eighty four 
relying on his skill she began to hint to rohan that she could win for him the queen's forgiveness her majesty had seen her faint and had been full of kindness nothing should be refused to the interesting daughter of the valois letters of the queen to jeanne forged by valette on paper stamped with blue fleurs de lys were laid before the eyes of the infatuated prelate valette later confessed to his forgeries all confessed but as all recanted their confessions this did not impress the public the letters proved that the queen was relenting as regarded rohan cagliostro confirmed the fact at a seance in rohan's house he introduced a niece of john's husband a girl of fifteen who played the part of crystal gazer and saw in the crystal whatever cagliostro told her to see all was favorable to the wishes of rohan who was as easy of belief as any spiritualist being entirely dominated by the neapolitan cagliostro none the less knew nothing of the great final coup despite his clairvoyance so far in the summer of seventeen eighty four the great diamond fraud had not risen into jeanne's consciousness her aim was merely to convince the cardinal that she could win for him the queen's favor and then to work upon his gratitude it was in july seventeen eighty four that jeanne's husband made the acquaintance of marie laguay a pretty and good-humoured but quite unfortunate young woman the height of honesty and dissoluteness who might be met in the public gardens chaperoned solely by a nice little boy jeanne de valois was not of a jealous temperament mademoiselle laguay was the friend of her husband the tawdry count for jeanne that was enough she invited the young lady to her house and by her royal fantasy created her baron gay doliva valois an easy anagram she presently assured the baron that the queen desired her collaboration in a practical joke her majesty would pay six hundred livres for the freak this is baron's own version her innocence she averred readily believed that marie antoinette desired her assistance you are only asked to give some evening a note and a rose to a great lord in an alley of the gardens of versailles my husband will bring you hither to-morrow evening jeanne later confessed that the baron really was quite stupid enough to be quite satisfied that the whole affair was a jest judged by their portraits doliva who was to personate the queen in an interview with the cardinal was not at all like marie antoinette her short round buxom face bears no resemblance to the long and noble outlines of the features of the queen but both women were fair and of figures not dissimilar on august eleventh seventeen eighty four jeanne dressed up d'olivia in the chemise or gall the very simple white blouse which marie antoinette wears in the contemporary portrait by madame vigy lebrun a portrait exhibited at the salon of seventeen eighty three the ladies with lamotte then dined at the best restaurant in versailles and went out into the park the sky was heavy without moon or starlight and they walked into the sombre mass of the grove of venus so styled from a statue of the goddess which was never actually placed there nothing could be darker than the thicket below the sullen sky a shadow of a man appeared vous voilà said the count 
and the shadow departed it was villette the forger of the queen's letters the lover and accomplice of jeanne de valois then the gravel of a path crackled under the feet of three men one approached heavily cloaked doliva was left alone a rose fell from her hand she had a letter in her pocket which she forgot to give the cloaked man who knelt and kissed the skirt of her dress she murmured something the cloaked cardinal heard or thought he heard her say you may hope that the past is forgotten another shadow flitted past whispering quick quick come on here are madame and madame d'artois they dispersed later the cardinal recognized the whispering shadow that fled by in villette the forger how could he recognize a fugitive shade vaguely beheld in a dark wood on a sultry and starless night if he mistook the girl doliva for the queen what is his recognition of the shadow worth the conspirators had a jolly supper and one bugnot a friend of jeanne not conscious of the plot escorted the baronne doliva back to her rooms in paris the trick the transparent trick was played and jeanne could extract from the cardinal what money she wanted in the name of the queen that gave him a rose in the grove of venus letters from the queen were administered at intervals by jeanne and the prelate never dreamed of comparing them with the authentic handwriting of marie antoinette we naturally ask ourselves was rohan in love with the daughter of the valois does his passion account for his blindness most authors have believed what jeanne later proclaimed that she was the cardinal's mistress this the divine steadily denied there was no shadow of proof that they were even on familiar terms except a number of erotic letters which jeanne showed to a friend bugnot saying that they were from the cardinal and then burned the cardinal believed all things in short and verified nothing in obedience to his dominating idea the recovery of the queen's good graces meanwhile jeanne drew on him for large sums which the queen she said needed for acts of charity it was proved that jeanne instantly invested the money in her own name bought a large house with another loan and filled it with splendid furniture she was as extravagant as she was greedy elene appetens su profusa the cardinal was in alsace at his bishopric when in november december seventeen eighty four jeanne was brought acquainted with the jewellers beaumere and Basinge, who could not find a customer for their enormous and very hideous necklace of diamonds left on their hands by the death of louis the fifteenth the european courts were poor marie antoinette had again and again refused to purchase a bauble like a comforter made of precious stones or to accept it from the king we have more need of a ship of war she said and would not buy though the jeweller fell on his knees and threatened to drown himself there were then no american millionaires and the thickest and ugliest of necklaces was eating its head off for the stones had been bought with borrowed money in the jewellers john found new victims they too believed in her credit with the queen they too asked no questions and held that she could find them a purchaser john imposed on them thus while the cardinal was still in alsace 
he arrived at paris in january seventeen eighty five he learned from jeanne that the queen wished him to deal for her with the jewellers she would pay the price sixty thousand livres by quarterly instalments the cardinal could believe that the queen who as he supposed had given him a darkling interview would entrust him with such a commission for an article which she had notoriously refused but there is a sane spot in every man's mind and on examining the necklace january twenty fourth seventeen eighty five he said that it was in very poor taste however as the queen wanted to wear it at a ceremony on february two he arranged the terms and became responsible for the money his guarantee was a document produced by jeanne and signed marie antoinette de france as cagliostro pointed out to rohan later too late the queen could not possibly use the signature neither the prelate nor the tradesman saw the manifest absurdity rohan carried the necklace to jeanne who gave it to the alleged messenger of the queen rohan only saw the silhouette of this man in a dusky room through a glass door but he later declared that in him he recognized the fleeting shade who whispered the warning to fly in the dark grove of venus it was villette the forger naturally people asked if you could not tell the queen from mademoiselle doliva when you kissed her robe in the grove how could you recognize through a dim glass door the man of whom you had only caught a glimpse as a fleeting shadow if you are so clever why it was the queen whom you met in the wood you cannot have been mistaken in her these obvious arguments told against the queen as well as against the cardinal the queen did not wear the jewels at the feast for which she had wanted them strange to say she never wore them at all to the surprise of the vendors and of the cardinal the necklace was in fact hastily cut to pieces with a blunt heavy knife in john's house her husband crossed to england and sold many stones and bartered more for all sorts of trinkets to gray of new bond street and jeffreys of piccadilly villette had already been arrested with his pockets full of diamonds but the luck of the house of valois and the astuteness of john procured his release so the diamonds were in part dumped down in england many were kept by the lamottes and jean paid some pressing debts in diamonds the happy lamottes with six carriages a set of horses silver plate of great value and diamonds glittering on many portions of their raiment now went off to astonish their old friends at bar sur ab the inventories of their possessions read like pages out of the arabian nights all went merrily till a great ecclesiastical feast among her friends the aristocracy on august seventeenth seventeen eighty five jeanne learned that the cardinal had been arrested at versailles in full pontificals when about to celebrate the mass she rushed from table fled to versailles and burned her papers she would not fly to england she hoped to brazen out the affair the arrest of the cardinal was caused thus on july twelfth seventeen eighty five the jeweller bonmer went to versailles with a letter of thanks to the queen dictated by rohan the date for the payment of the first instalment had arrived nothing had been paid a reduction in price had been suggested and accepted 
bomber gave the letter of thanks to the queen but the controller general entered and bomber withdrew without waiting for a reply the queen presently read the letter of thanks could not understand it and sent for the jeweller who had gone home marie antoinette thought he was probably mad certainly a bore and burned his note before the eyes of madame campan tell the man when you next see him that i do not want diamonds and shall never buy any more fatal folly had the queen insisted on seeing bomer all would have been cleared up and her innocence established bomer's note spoke of the recent arrangements of the jeweller's joy that the greatest of queens possesses the handsomest of necklaces and marie antoinette asked no questions jeanne now august three did a great stroke she told basinge that the queen's guarantee to the cardinal was a forgery she calculated that the cardinal to escape the scandal would shield her would sacrifice himself and pay the six thousand livres but the jewellers dared not carry the news to the cardinal they went to madame campan who said that they had been gulled the queen had never received the jewels still they did not tell the cardinal jeanne now sent Fellette out of the way to geneva and on august four basinge asked the cardinal whether he was sure that the man who was to carry the jewels to the queen had been honest a pleasant question the cardinal kept up his courage all was well he could not be mistaken jeanne with cunning audacity did not fly she went to her splendid home at bar sur aube villette was already out of reach doliva with her latest lover was packed off to brussels there was no proof against jeanne her own flight would have been proof the cardinal could not denounce her he had insulted the queen by supposing that she gave him a lonely midnight tryst a matter of high treason the cardinal could not speak he consulted cagliostro the guarantee is forged said the sage the queen could not sign marie antoinette de france throw yourself at the king's feet and confess all the wretched rohan now compared the queen's forged notes to him with authentic letters of hers in the possession of his family the forgery was conspicuous but he did not follow the advice of cagliostro on august twelve the queen extracted the whole facts as far as known to them from the jewellers on august fifteen the day of the assumption when the cardinal was to celebrate the king asked him my cousin what is this tale of a diamond necklace bought by you in the name of the queen the unhappy man unable to speak coherently was allowed to write the story in fifteen lines how could you believe asked the queen with angry eyes that i who have not spoken to you for eight years entrusted you with this commission how indeed could he believe it he offered to pay for the jewels the thing might still have been hushed up the king is blamed first for publicly arresting rohan as he did an enormous scandal next for handing over the case for public trial to the parliament the hereditary foes of the court forta de st just one of the bar cried what a triumph for liberal ideas a cardinal a thief the queen implicated mud on the crozier and the sceptre he had his fill of liberal ideas for he was guillotined on june fourteenth seventeen ninety four 
kings and queens are human beings they like a fair and open trial mary stuart prayed for it in vain from the estates of scotland and from elizabeth charles i asked for public trial in vain from the estates of scotland at the time of the unsolved puzzle of the incident louis the sixteenth and marie antoinette had the publicity they wanted to their undoing the parliament was to acquit rohan of the theft of the necklace a charge which john tried to support by a subplot of romantic complexity and that acquittal was just but nothing was said of the fatal insult which he had dealt to the queen Villette, who had forged the royal name was merely exiled left free to publish fatal calumnies abroad though high treason as times went was about the measure of his crime gay d'oliva whose personation of the queen also verged on treason was merely acquitted with a recommendation not to do it again pretty a young mother and profoundly dissolute she was the darling of liberal and sensible hearts jeanne de valois indeed was whipped and branded but jeanne in public opinion was the scapegoat of a cruel princess and all the mud was thrown on the face of the guiltless queen the friends of rohan were all the clergy all the many nobles of his illustrious house all the courtly foes of the queen they began by the basest calumnies the ruin that the people achieved all the friends of liberal ideas who soon like forta de saint just had more of liberalism than they liked these were the results which the king obtained by offering to the cardinal his choice between the royal verdict and that of the public court of justice rohan said that if the king would pronounce him innocent he would prefer to abide by the royal decision he was innocent of all but being a presumptuous fool the king might even now have recognized the fact mud would have been thrown but not all the poached filth of the streets of paris on the other hand had louis withheld the case from public trial we might still be doubtful of the queen's innocence napoleon acknowledged it the queen was innocent and to make her innocence the more public she wished the parliament to be the judge the result was that she was taken to be guilty napoleon thought that the king should have taken the case into his own hand this might have been wisdom for the day but not for securing the verdict of posterity the pyramidal documents of the process still in existence demonstrate the guilt of the lamottes and their accomplices at every step and prove the stainless character of the queen lamotte could not be caught he had fled to edinburgh where he lived with an aged italian teacher of languages this worthy man offered to sell him for ten thousand livres and a pretty plot was arranged by the french ambassador to drug lamotte put him on board a collier at south shields and carry him to france but the old italian lost heart and after getting one thousand livres out of the french government in advance deemed it more prudent to share the money with the count perhaps the count invented the whole stratagem it was worthy of the husband and pupil of jeanne de valois that poor lady's cause was lost when villette and gay d'oliva were brought back across the frontier 
confessed and corroborated each other's stories yet she made a wonderfully good fight changing her whole defence into another as plausible and futile before the very eyes of the court and doing her best to ruin rohan as a thief and cagliostro as the forger of the queen's guarantee the bold neapolitan was acquitted but compelled to leave the country and attempt england where the phlegmatic islanders trusted him no more than they trusted madame humbert we expended our main capital of credulity on titus oates and bedloe and the warming-pan lie our imaginative innocence being most accessible in the region of religion the french are more open to the appeal of romance and to dissolute honesty in the person of miss gay doliva to injured innocence as represented by jeanne de valois that class of rogues suits a gay people while we are well mated with such a seductive divine as dr oates end of section five